Hebrews 1, Hebrews 12. I'll join you there in just a moment. I, I try to follow the leading of the Spirit every week. Lord, what would you like to say to the congregation? I, I, how many of you know there are commentaries plenty and there are sermons and outlines and there are all kinds of things on the internet that you can run through and pick something up and preach it. But I believe, ladies and gentlemen, we need to hear the word the Lord wants us to hear. And I, I, I seek to find that every week. And uh, I will just tell you, it's been my experience in ministry. There are weeks when the Lord just drops things in your heart and you go, yes, Lord, that's it, that's there. And it's wonderful because it just comes together in your mind. And then there's times when, when you just don't know what happened to the Lord. He took a vacation, I guess, or something. He really doesn't. I say that tongue in cheek. Then it's the searching. And, but I want to I take you to Hebrews today. And for those of you that know the Scripture, I'm going to be reading some scripture that for me would be a place where I need to, as Paul, as uh, God instructed Moses, take off your shoes because the ground you're standing on is holy. We're going to talk about some holy ground today. Hebrews, when you open the book of Hebrews, it is an amazing epistle. It is just, as a human receiving it, it is a blessing. Its authorship has been a debated thing for many, many years. I cannot, will not enter that question. I am woefully inadequate. But there are authors and students and historians and scholars who have said that Paul wrote the Hebrews. Some say Barnabas wrote it. Some say Apollos was the author of it. And by the way, that's what Martin Perryman believes, but he's wrong. And the reason I said that is because he's gone today preaching in another congregation. <laughs> I'm, just, I'm just teasing. Just forgot to tell you he's preaching in another church this morning and this evening. Thank God people want to hear our staff. Amen. They say Paul, they say Barnabas, some say Priscilla, some say Apollos. I will simply make this remark. Thank God for a passionate and fertile mind of the first century who was led by the Holy Spirit, whose writing has impacted my life in an inescapable manner, who has stimulated me to trust and thirst for the Word of God to be a different person, more committed as a disciple to Jesus, my Lord, the author of Hebrews. I can't wait to find out who it was, and I want to spend about 100 years walking through these words with him. Wow. I love to open this book. It's truth and it's words pour into my life and my living. I've never failed to open Hebrews that it did not give strength to my soul. Such is what I want to open to you this morning. I love what I call, this is me, I call the two great pillars of Hebrews. I've asked just late this morning, I want to say thank you again to our tech team. I asked uh, Megan this morning just to can you draw me this? And she pulled this picture up, put these words here. These are, I, I want to look at the two pillars of the Hebrews. Thank you, Megan, for your help. Chapter 2 is the first pillar. And verse 3 says, how shall we escape if we neglect so great salvation? 
That's the first pillar. Then the second pillar is chapter 12, verse 1. Since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses. And ladies and gentlemen, if you see that, there's these two pillars that are holding up all the epistle. Actually, to the left is chapter 1, and then there's the pillar. And then over to the right, there's chapter 12 and chapter 13 outside of that. It's this, it's this picture of such weighty words. On these two great pillars hang holy and mighty words. I want to, I want to just give you some of them. Chapter 4 in the middle, verse 16, 14 and 16. Seeing that we who are believers, how many are believers? Seeing that we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast our confession. The King James Version says profession. For we do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weaknesses, but in all points tempted as we are yet without sin. Then the scripture says, let us, that you and me, therefore come boldly to the throne of grace that we may obtain mercy and find grace in a time of need. Right in the middle, this powerful, powerful word. Then to the other side, between this pillar, I want you to look with me at Hebrews 1. I want to look at verse 1. Listen to these powerful words. This is our text today. God, who at various times and in various ways spoke in times past to the fathers by the prophets, has in these last days spoken to us, please read it with me, how? Let's say it again. By his Son, whom he hath appointed heir of all things, through whom also he made the worlds, God spoke it, the Christ performed it, who being the brightness of the glory of God, his glory, and the express image of God's person, and upholding all things by the word of his power, when he had by himself the Christ purged our sins, sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. Ladies and gentlemen, we're not serving some distant man-made God made of concrete or wood. We serve a God who is alive and well and has it all in control. Will you skip over in that same chapter or chapter 12 with me? I want to read some great verses. Chapter 12, I want you to look at verse 1. Therefore, we also, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let who? Let us lay aside how much? Every weight and the sin which so easily besets and snares us. And let who? Us run how? With endurance the race that is set before who? Us. Looking unto Jesus, the author and the finisher of this faith, who for the joy that was set before him, and the joy set before him was the paying the price for your sin and mine so we could spend eternity together. For the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, 
and has sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. For consider him who endured such hostility. I'm going to jump ahead of our place. I just want you to know today I'm going to talk about this word, consider him. As we journey through these final hours, keep your mind on him. Consider him who endured such hostility from sinners against himself, lest who? You become weary and discouraged in your souls. Please go to verse 18. For you have not come to the mountain. This is in, in reference to Deuteronomy 4, if you remember the Old Testament with Moses. You have not come down to the mountain that may be touched and that burned with fire and to blackness and darkness and tempest. And the sound of a trumpet here, talking about Exodus 20, the sound of the trumpet and the voice of words, so that those who heard it, remember, as he was coming down, they heard it. Israel was scared to death of the lightning, the thunder, and the voice and the trumpet of a mountain and heard it. They begged that the word should not be spoken to them anymore. For they could not endure what was commanded. Here's what was commanded. And if so much as a beast touches the mountain, it shall be stoned or shot with an arrow. This is a picture of the glory of God. And fallen men cannot be in the presence of pure and holy, righteous glory. And God thundered with it. It scared sinful men and women and children in Egypt. Verse 21. And so terrifying was the sight that Moses said, I'm exceedingly afraid and trembling. Listen, when the leaders shake, there's something going on. Amen. But you have, you have not come to that. You have not come to that. But you have come to Mount Zion. Watch this. Keep the numbers. Number one, he called us to Mount Zion, to a city of the living God and the heavenly Jerusalem. Number two, to an innumerable company of angels. Number three, to the general assembly of the church of the firstborn who are registered in heaven. How many of you are registered in heaven? Then to fourthly, to God the judge of all. And fifthly, to the spirits of just men who were made perfect. And to Jesus, number six, the mediator of the new covenant. And number seven, to what made it all possible? To the blood of sprinkling that sprinkling and speaks better things than that of the of Abel. Abel's blood, ladies and gentlemen, when it hit soil because he was murdered, cried out vengeance. But the voice of the blood of God cries out for mercy. And you and I ought to thank God we live in the New Testament. Boy, I tell you what, having read that, we could just get the altar before the Lord and say, my Lord God, what an awesome God. In a few weeks, we're going to see a change, I think. Well, I know we will. Summer's going to be here. And school's going to be out, and it's going to be time for vacation, and a lot of people are going. How many of you are going? Thank you. You're, none of you are going to vacation. You're going to stay in church every week, right? <laughs> I think we need some vacation, no doubt about it. Time of relaxing. Thank God we can. It's called Sabbath or Sabbath in the Scripture. But I want to caution us. Even though we're going to see, I think, some relief, and I think we should, I want to caution us. Ladies and gentlemen, we're in an hour where things are changing. 
not just in our country, but across this world. Surely you know there is great activity in the spirit world that we have not seen before. I just want to say as believers, if we are spiritually successful... And I don't mean just getting by in salvation. I'm talking about being what we've been called to be, light and salt to a world and a dynamic power and a witness in the lives that will lead others to the cross and make ourselves stable. If we're going to be spiritually successful as parents, students, pastors, leaders, believers, if we're going to be that, we must maintain, if not have to revive, some disciplines in our lives. Routines must be established for us to live a consistent Christian life. The resolves in our innermost being must overpower the demands of this world. You're not going to make heaven by accident or lackadaisical traveling. You're going to make heaven because you're meant to on purpose. I frankly look forward with great delight to the future. Pastor, why don't you see everything? Yes, I know it. I know it. I, I know I see it all. Sometimes I get sick of seeing it all and I have to take a vacation from the television and the internet. Maybe this, I think somebody calls it unplug. But even knowing all of that, with all of its uncertainties, I still look forward with the future. Why? Here's why. Because I know what God has done, and I know what He is doing, and it makes me eager to face tomorrow because God is still in control of every bit of it. <laughs> it makes me eager for tomorrow. And I don't know all about tomorrow, but I know who holds tomorrow. I agree with the musician or the singer, the, the author of the song, I know, I don't know about tomorrow. I want us to talk, I want us to look to him, consider him. The rest of the message is all about where we keep our vision. Last week I talked about protecting our thinking. Let's go back to chapter 12 of Hebrews, a classic passage. Like the preceding chapter 11 especially, I will, I, it will be held close by those of Christian faith. Chapter 12 is a powerful boon for us in the last day. Any genuine believer familiar with the New Testament will come to cherish this section, and it's actually chapter 12 is a section on discipline. And I don't know, I'm, I'm not sure that all of us thrill on the subject of discipline. I know that Pastor John's learned a few weeks of it, and I expect him to be changed. <laughs> I know we don't love discipline in that sense. We don't love it in enduring it, but I want to tell you, once we've been there, ladies and gentlemen, absolutely we know the value of the discipline. How many of you know that you are because you've been through some disciplines? The Holy Spirit has given this passage for a very definite reason. And I want you to hear me this morning. As the Spirit of the Lord looked to the future he sees the high possibility of persecution coming. Yet, I want to declare, he does not indulge in sympathy. He does not look on the negative and say, oh, hang on till the Lord comes or just, just warm yourself up, nothing of that. But rather, he stirs the reader to stand with a power and a mindset as did those who've gone before us. And the Spirit of God seems to say to this generation, do you think 
you will get by with any less commitment or any less cost than the saints who earlier witnessed. I want to tell you the obvious answer, absolutely not, no. I want to declare to you what was required of every previous generation will be required of this generation. We have to make a commitment, and God expects us to keep it. I love the setting. Watch what it is. It's a great stadium of spiritual athletics. Paul puts it in that setting. The stands are filled with giant athletes of the past by the hundreds and the thousands. Those all who have ran their races. Those who have completed their events. Those who are now eagerly encouraging the new contestants. That's where Paul starts in chapter 12. But I want you to note something about all of these witnesses. They are all alive. Nobody's somewhere lost in soul sleep. I want to tell you, how many of you have loved ones you know that are in the kingdom over a cross? I want you to know they're alive. Secondly, they are aware. And thirdly, they are present in that, those stands. And the, Paul said, or the writer said, seeing that we are compassed or surrounded about. No sense of historical memory here. Nothing about the past, but it's all a present tense verse, seeing we are encircled by these witnesses. The picture is an active watching throng of people. These are the finishers shouting encouragement down the annals of time to you and me, to those who we now perhaps struggle in our own events. From the Old Testament, I want to point you some folk out that I know are in that audience. Let's start early. How about Abel? Abel is there. His voice can be heard, having offered a sacrifice of faith which was acceptable to God. Noah is there. Don't forget, I'm talking about our examples. Noah is there who heard the command of God to do that which seemed ridiculous in the eyes of his neighbors. It had never rained, never heard of it, and God said, I'm bringing a flood. Yet Noah obeyed. And young people, mom and dad, that mindset is so critical for spiritual success. You must win the war against human reason when there is a supernatural truth to dominate our thinking. And there's Abraham, and he's there with Sarah, his wife. <laughs> the promise given to them was totally unreasonable by human understanding of physiology. Being 99 years old, even in that day, these two people, read the history of it, these two people just took off from their home to a distant destination and they didn't even know where they were going. They just knew who they were following. One of the great questions today is this, do you know who you're following? And what kind of credentials does he have? Close by, 
sets Enoch. His simple life is one of walking with God. Ladies and gentlemen, some folks aren't known by their awesome feats. They're not known by their charismatic personalities. They're not known by some great popularity. They're just known by the simple quality of their personal lives, but a witness and a testimony just as powerful. Isaac and Jacob and Joseph are there. These men, listen to this, blessed their children in the faith based on God's promises. And Moses, Moses, Moses shouts. I want you to listen to what Moses shouts from the grandstands. He shouts to us, keep your eye on him who is invisible. What kind of a statement is that? And I know that you in this room, most of you know exactly what I mean when he said, keep your eye on, on he who is invisible. Listen, if you don't know anything about the spirit world, and you don't know anything about the second birth, and you don't understand the promises of God in eternity, you would think this man is insane. Keep your eye on that which is invisible, but I stand here this morning telling you that I am so glad and I am so privileged that I know what he meant when he said, keep your eye on he who is invisible. I'm ever glad you know. Let the world scorn us. Let the world ridicule us. Let the world say that we've lost our minds, that we've lost our senses. Let them call us all kind of fanatics all they want. But ladies and gentlemen, we keep our eye looking to him, considering him. He may not be visible today in the natural eye, but he's certainly alive inside my soul and spirit. And then the writer brings us, now comes the moment for our race. Now comes the moment for our time on the track, for our time on the mat, if you will. So watch it. All the warm-up suits are laid aside. You hear the announcer call for the event. The, a great deal of preparation, a great deal of training, a great deal of encouragement has come out to us from moms, dads, grandparents, pastors, Sunday school teachers, evangelists, friends. How many of you are glad for the gifts of God while you travel this terrestrial ball? A lot of preparation. So the author exhorts us. You know what he said? Two things, very quickly. Lay aside the weight and the sin that so easily besets you. I want to talk about the first one. Lay aside the weight. The Greek word here has three meanings for the word weight. The first one is body bulk. It's a good way of saying it, isn't it? <laughs> for special athletes, and let me say for spiritual athletes, that can mean something for us. Lay aside the weight. First of all, body bulk. Too, it can be for we Christians too many irons in the fire. How many of you want to do good and you get to where you know this is good and this is good? Don't raise your hand. This is good, this is good, this is good, this. And you can't say no. Too many irons in the fire can be a weight 
Too many dissipating interests can be a weight. Even too many good things that can devour the energy God wants to spend in his kingdom. Secondly, the word weight lay aside is an encumbrance. The warm-ups have to be discarded. There comes a time, ladies and gentlemen, when pleasantness and ease and comfort must be laid aside and we have to fight this warfare. Thirdly, a weight can be a spirit of overconfidence and arrogance. Many a great team with championship potential has taken the field in an attitude of haughtiness or in an attitude of cockiness, in an attitude of conceit, only to be defeated by lesser hands. Many, with Simon Peter's arrogance, have heard the rooster crow and found themselves ashamed of their commitment. No wonder the Holy Spirit commands our vision, our thinking, our discipleship. No wonder he commands our attention. Consider Jesus. Look to the Christ. Why? Because he is the author, the Alpha. He is the finisher, the Omega. And so the rest of my message, I have a question. I have to ask the writer, what will he, the object of my focus, what will this author provide for me if I look forward in a day of persecution? What are my instructions? What do I look for? First, I want to tell you, number one, he will provide for us leadership. Exodus 13, 21, all the way back. And the Lord went before them by day. Let me stop and ask you something. Does the Scripture say that God is not a respecter of person? Absolutely. Does he declare that his son is the same yesterday, today, and forever, and he does not change? Does he declare that he will never leave us nor forsake us? Yes or no. Does he tell us he will dwell in us and to put his word in our mind? Does he not tell us that he has given us all things so that we can be sufficient in grace? Yes, he has. That leadership. And the Lord went before them by day in a pillar of cloud to lead them in the way. By night in a pillar of fire to give them light to go by day or by night. God took care of every day. Deuteronomy 8.2 says, You shall remember all the way which the Lord your God led you these 40 years in the wilderness. Watch this purpose to humble you, to prove you, to know what was in your heart. Psalm 27.11 says, The prayer of David, teach teach me your path, O Lord, and lead me in a plain path. How many of you want simple but solid instruction? Young people, ladies and gentlemen, the God of creation is well qualified to lead us. The virgin born, vicarious death, crucified Savior on Calvary, resurrected on the third day to cause resurrection is the only one with the genuine license you and I should follow. He's qualified to lead us. He made it all. Earth, life, you, me. He knows the way. I want to tell you something. That same God will lead me in the last hour. Number two, he will provide strength. Strength. 
something about this. Can I just tell you most of this is not needed until you need it? God knows about the human being. If he just gave us a full supply of everything anytime we wanted it, I realize there's no limit to the grace, but I'm going to tell you something. We'd use it all and take all tomorrow and the next week's grace and mercy and probably use it up today and wonder where God went tomorrow. I just talk about human nature. He will give us strength. Psalm 27 and 1, let me do it like this. The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the strength of my life. Of whom shall I Shall I fear world chaos? Shall I fear economic crash? How many of you know that it's in the book that says that we came into this world with nothing and we're going to leave with nothing? Now, I'm not trying to be blind to God knows we have these needs. He's promised to keep all that. Shall I fear bad news? I want to tell you, I get choked with it. I have to unplug, like I said earlier. But I'm a, shall I fear all that? Absolutely not. Why? But consider him. Look to him. He knows it all. I checked in the book. It's still there. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. I pray for some of you in certain circumstance. I've prayed for you many times, sir. I don't know what he's having to deal with, but you give him strength. I'm talking about that law enforcement officer right there. Both of them. I'm talking about people I know that struggle. I pray God give them strength every day. I don't know what their circumstance is, but I know who can keep them. And I know who can put strength in them. And I know who can give them wisdom. And I know who can give them favor. And I know who's promised to be with them and never forsake them. Ladies and gentlemen, why should we be afraid of anything? And listen to old Isaiah. I hear him shouting from those stands. They that wait upon the Lord will renew their strength. They will mount up like wings of an eagle. They will run and not be weary. They will walk and not faint. Ladies and gentlemen, that's the witness we have. That's the power we have in this late hour. He'll lead us. He'll give us strength. Here's a different word. He'll guide us. Well, pastor, what's the difference in leadership and guidance? Let me show you. This guidance is, this is that, it's that divine whisper. It's that small, still voice that you can't hear, but you hear it. How many of you know what I'm talking about? It's that comforter that has arrived. You can't see him. He says nothing, 
but you certainly know he's present. This is that confidence that you can't stir, that you can't muster, but it just sort of slides into your life, into your innermost being. It's born of an inner truth that's inside of you because when Sunday school teacher and pastor and evangelist and mom and dad and grandparent and friend said, this is the way, walk in it, live like this, trust in him, know him, be born again a second time, ladies and gentlemen, it's all true because I've lived it for 50, 60 years. Look, consider him. You know what he'll say? In this late hour, you know what he'll say? He'll say, look up. Look up. Look up. Redemption is at hand. My leader, my strength giver, my guide that speaks in the innermost part of my being is not a mountain of quaking. He is not a mountain of lightning and thunder and fear. My leader, my guide, the one that gives me strength is meek and mild. And he's sitting at the right hand of the Father. And he said, I've been tempted and I've been through everything you'll ever experience. And when that day comes, whatever experience that is, I will pray for you. And it's the same thing when he said to Peter, when you have overcome, feed my sheep. Not a bulging belly idol. Not a prophet that flew on a winged horse. Not a drug-induced epileptic spell of revelation from Gabriel. Not a God of desperate men's casting and creating. Not of their carving. But I have an elder brother. How many of you know what I'm talking about? The scripture says he's my elder brother. I never had a brother in the flesh till Jesus came. Now I do. He's my Lord. He's my shepherd. He's my price payer. My redeemer. He is my eternal sovereign. Generation 20, 21. I want us to look ahead. I want us to get happy about our days. None of these days have taken God by surprise. None of these issues ever shake God up. Listen to him say, look up. I have a great cloud of witnesses. I have a great mediator encouraging me and praying for me. And ladies and gentlemen, a whole crowd that cheers me on if you'll let me say something. I have grandparents
that I hear saying, Dave, go on. Come on, son, go on. I have aunts and uncles and a dad. Tell me it's worth it. Can't wait till you come. You say, preacher, you're out of your mind. No, I hear it. You know why? Because they're in the grandstands. It's a witness. It's a witness. Let me say something that might shock you a little bit, but I really don't believe they sit in the grandstands and can see us. I know we get sentimental and we say, oh, they're up there in heaven looking down, seeing us. The witness is there. And we hear it. The grandstands are full of them. And I know I'm going to aggravate some people, but do you really want those who've gone before watching every move you make? (laughs) I think the picture is they're in the stands. They've done theirs. They're shouting to us. Whatever you're going through, whatever comes, it's going to be worth it. Do what we've done. Stay with it. Generation 2020 run. If you're a student, run. Run for the kingdom. Live it in front of people. If you're a parent, be a parent. Full of the power of the Spirit of God and determination to set in a right direction your children. If you're a grandparent, come on, let's help the parents and the grandkids. Man, if you're a pastor, Brooks, keep it straight, son. Just, just, just keep living it. How many of you think I ought to live right? I knew you'd raise your hand. (laughs) I just want to say I am consumed to follow Jesus alone. For he alone, he alone. Those of you on the internet, if you don't know him, You're existing, but you're not living. There's a whole world that's against you, but I want to tell you there is an eternity and a God that died for you that is for you. And I want to pray with you. If you don't know the Lord, and in this room, if you don't know the Lord, say this prayer with me. Father, the Spirit of God draws me. I want to know this King. I want to give my life to the Lord of Lords. I confess that I have sinned. I ask you to take your shed blood and purchase my salvation. I want to be a new creature in Christ where old things are passed away and all things become new. I receive you as Christ, Savior, and Lord. I confess Jesus as the Son of God and believe it in my heart. And Lord, you said if I would, it would render unto me salvation. And I thank you from the depths of my being for purchasing my eternal life. If you prayed that prayer with me today online, I want you to go to our website and push That's Me. I'll be glad to correspond with you about that and give you some help for the future.